Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Um, as Jason said, my name is Anthony. Um, I've been on staff here for almost three years now, but like he said, I don't, you don't typically see me up here. I'm usually kind of behind the scenes, taking care of stuff, um, to get stuff ready for Sunday. And um, so I do want to take a second, though, to acknowledge somebody who's actually not here. And that is Pastor Chad, Pastor Chad and Tasha, um, for giving me this opportunity for sharing their stage with me and giving me the opportunity to share with you guys uh, this week. So as Jason said, we have been in the book of Ephesians. And what was supposed to be a, I think, six to eight week series has turned into five months. Um, but we've been looking at it from this perspective. We've been going through it verse by verse, breaking it down, seeing what Paul had to say to this church in Ephesus, and by extension, then to us. And so, if you remember how the breakdown of this book is, the first half, the first three chapters, they are broken down to our identity, who we are in Christ. That was Paul's focus in the first half of the book. In the second half, it's gone from identity, from what we, who we are, to what we do, and our walk in faith. And um, for those who don't know me real well, I have a military background. I joined the Navy after I graduated high school. And um, so as, I've, as we've gone through this book, I began to notice this pattern that really lines up with my military experience. And you're going, what is he talking about? <laughs> but here's the deal. When you join the military, you don't go to the recruiter's office, sign the papers, and they send you out to battle. That's not how it works. There's a process, right? Well, if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, you know this book ends in the last half of chapter 6 with the, putting on the armor of God and going out and fighting spiritual warfare. But we don't immediately do that. There's a process. And so the first three chapters, you can break it down like this. The first three chapters are your boot camp. What's the purpose of boot camp in military? It's to change your identity to take you from civilian to soldier. But once you get out of boot camp, you're still not ready yet. You haven't been taught how to fight. You didn't know what you're supposed to go do yet. So chapters 4 through the first half of 6 are that. They're your advanced training or your AIT, depending on what branch you've been in, if you've been in the military. It's your advanced training. This is, what, this is your how-to, how you go out and learn how to do what it is you've been called to do as a soldier. And so then at that point, once you've gone through boot camp and then you've gone through your training, now you're ready to put on the armor. Now you're ready to go out and fight. So that's really how I've kind of looked at the book of Ephesians. We've been taught who we are, given our identity, been told what to do, and then from that point, now we're ready to put on our armor and go fight. So as Paul wraps this up in Ephesians, the last thing he's going to look at is relationships. And really it's this, the title of my message today is The S Word. And you all just went, what? <laughs> The S word. And we're going to get to what that word is here in a minute. But with the idea of relationships, there's this idea of we are to submit. The S word. That has a negative connotation, right, when we hear that word submit. And so what Paul's going to look at as he goes through these relationships, so all of us are going to fall into one of these categories. As believers, we're going to fall into one of these categories. The first one which we're going to hit on today is the marriage relationship. You may or may not be married in the room. But... That's what we're going to hit on today, but we're also going to look at, you're going to find some things in today's message that will apply to you even if you're not married or don't plan to be married. So just, if you're not married, don't walk out. Just know there's stuff in here for you today. 
The next relationship he's going to look at is the parent-child relationship. And you're going, well, I'm not married. I don't have kids. That's fine. Do you have a job? That would be the next question. Because that's the, second, the third relationship he's going to look at is this idea of the employee-employer relationship. But let's say you don't fall into any of those categories. Paul's still going to talk to you today, actually. So let's get into this. And before we get into Ephesians, I think we, before we get into what Paul says about marriage, I think there's a couple of biblical truths we have to understand about marriage first, out of Scripture. And the first biblical truth I want to look at is this. What is the purpose of marriage? How many of you have ever considered that question when you got married? What is the purpose of getting married? Some of us get married just because we think it's going to make us happy, or it's going to better my financial situation, or I just like the way the person looks. According to Scripture, that's not why we get married. So what is the purpose of marriage? Well, to find out what the purpose of marriage is, we kind of have to go back to where the marriage covenant was instituted. Where is that? Book of Genesis. So let's go, book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 15 through 22. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a, catch this word, suitable helper for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no, what? Suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, God took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now going up to verse 18, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Is man alone? Think about the creation in the garden. It was perfect. Adam had a perfect relationship with God at this point, did he not? He had the perfect companion in God. But God in his wisdom knew what was coming, right? He knew sin was coming. And that man would need a companion, or more specifically, the passage says, a suitable helper. So a suitable helper for what? Well, what was Adam created for? To serve God in the garden. Woman was created to be a suitable helper in service to God. That is the purpose of the marriage relationship. To find a suitable helper in our service to God. And we're going to look at this in a little bit more detail later, but let me ask you a question. If you're being honest, how many of us got in the room got married under that pretense? That I'm getting married so I have a suitable helper in my service to God. I would say not many, right? But the good news is, even if that's not why you got married, you can now shift your focus in your marriage and go, okay, now that I'm married, I now know what my marriage purpose is. How can we work together to be suitable helpers in our service to Christ? So that's the first point. Second biblical truth about marriage I want to share is the first commandment of marriage. And again, we got to go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Be fruitful and multiply. 
Now, how many of you thought that meant the same thing? Be fruitful and multiply. In a sense, yes, but it doesn't say be fruitful by multiplying, does it? It says be fruitful and multiply. And I think we all know what the multiply part means, right? We all know what that part means. But what does it mean to be fruitful? That first part of that command. What does it mean? In the Hebrew, that word is para in Hebrew. And it means to bear fruit. To bear fruit. And in the context of scripture, we see many, many examples where we are called as believers to bear fruit. But specifically, let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands here because I don't know how many I would get, but how many would say that's what your marriage looks like? But that's our first commandment of marriage, isn't it? To be fruitful? To bear fruit? Are these words representative of the culture in your house? Well, here's my question then. How do we get to a point in our house, in our marriage, where we're fulfilling the purpose God has given for us in marriage and bearing the fruit we've been called to bear? How do we get to that point? Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 21, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's that word, that S word, submit. First things first, while this is going to apply to the marriage, this statement is actually a continuation. This verse is a continuation of what we looked at last week. It's not actually part of the marriage conversation. What were we talk about last week? Being wise, right? In wisdom. We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, I think to really get a grasp of what this truly means, this applies to every believer. And so, again, this is where I'm going to tell you, for those of you who aren't married, this is for you, <laughs> just so you know. So what does it mean to actually submit? Well, to ensure, Paul wants to ensure that everyone understands what it truly means to submit. That's his goal. He wants us to understand what this S word really means. And it begins with this blanket statement, submit to one another in Christ. And then he begins to move into the specifics of different relationships. And like I said, you may not fit into all of these categories, but you're going to fit into at least one, if not this one alone, where he's talking to everybody. So the first thing I want to talk about is this. Submission is not a dirty word. It's not a dirty word. What do we often think about when we hear the word submission or the word submit? What do we think about? Cowering down to an authority figure maybe? Um, do we have any UFC fans, wrestling fans in the house? What's it mean to submit? Tap out. Tap out. Right? We think of it in this negative connotation where we're bowing down or conceding to a, somebody of greater strength, of greater power. We essentially make ourselves a second-class citizen when we think about submitting. But that's not the point at all, is it? So we need to understand what submit means in its overall context. The word submission, what Paul is getting at is that we are not to place ourselves above or in a higher status than those around us. We need to see ourselves as serving equal roles within the body of Christ. That's Paul's point. And so as we move through this passage, we begin to look at the marriage relationship. The idea is this, that it's not a dirty word, 
but an understanding of what our role is and then fulfilling that role based on what Scripture tells us. That's what submission is, understanding our role and fulfilling that role based on what Scripture gives us. So let's start with the role of the wife. Husbands, elbows down. Just don't, don't be throwing elbows today, okay? Because what you're going to find is you have a lot more responsibility than your wife does, just so you know. So Ephesians 5, through 24, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. That's pretty self-explanatory. I don't think we need to explain that, do we? And all the husbands went, yes, right? But seriously, what's the role of the wife? Submit to your husband in everything. Now, I know this is not a popular statement given today's culture, right? In today's culture, it's, we're in the me movement. It's empowering women to take a stand and be a leader. And, and I'm good with all of that. And I'm not saying that. But within the confines of marriage, submit to your husband in everything. And see, what's happened is culture has pushed this to the point where they've said women need to be empowered and be leaders, that it's moved into the church. We've taken what the culture has said and brought it into the church. And we've said the, it's now the wife's role to be a leader, and they're the ones who are supposed to be leading their home spiritually, and that's not what Scripture tells us. Now, is this to say a woman can't be a leader in the church? No, it's not what I'm saying. Women have just as much as men have spiritual gifts. They have the gift of teaching. They have the gift of prophesying, of healing. Whatever that might be, they have gifts that they are called to use within the body of Christ. But within the confines of marriage, the husband is called to be the spiritual leader, not the wife. And can I tell you, Scripture actually gives us the reason why. For those of you who are struggling with this concept that the man is supposed to be the spiritual leader in the home, can I give you the reason why? You guys good with that? Again, where, we, where do you think I'm going to go to? Genesis. I love Genesis, by the way. Genesis is one of my favorite books, and really, for me, it's the most important book of Scripture. Everything we need to know about God and man's relationship with God can be found in the book of Genesis. So, God's response is found in Genesis 3.16. It says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. This is a verse that has a lot of depth and a lot of meaning and is often taken out of context. Um, but for the sake of time, we're going to go into all of that. I just want to hit on this last part, that he will rule over, you, rule over you. And a lot of people have taken this to mean that means the husband has ultimate authority and can do whatever he wants within the home. That's not it. This statement is actually not a condemnation to the woman, but grace. It is grace to the woman. The context is this. Everything that God says in this entire discourse in Genesis chapter 3 to the woman is grace. And we need to understand that. Look, what God is telling a woman is, look, what happened in the garden? If you guys know the story, right? Satan comes in, and who does he attack first? Where's his attack? It's on woman. He goes to the spiritual leader in the home. He goes to woman. And what does woman do? She tries to defend God's word. She takes a stand. She tries to be the leader. What did Adam do? He just took the fruit and ate, right? He did what a good man does. Oh, take some fruit. Wife gives him something, he eats it, right? What God is telling woman here is like, look, you did your best to withstand the attacks of the enemy. You failed. 
unfortunately. So this burden is no longer yours. It is now your husband's responsibility to be the spiritual leader in the home to help withstand the attacks of the enemy. That's what that means. So wives, your role in submission is simply this. Allow your husband to lead you spiritually. That's it. That's it. That's the role of the woman in the marriage relationship when it comes to spiritual matters. Allow the husband to lead. Now for the husbands. You'll notice there are over twice as many verses dedicated to the husband's role. So what is the role of the husband? Verses 25 through 31. For husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. And no one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Role number one. There are three, three roles I see that the husband has to play when it comes to spiritual leadership in the home. And number one is this. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, this one's a little tough to grasp and understand. Okay? And really, it's this. It's really simple, but very demanding. Placing, your need, placing the needs of your wife above your own. What did Christ do? How did Christ love the church? He placed the needs of the body before his own. He was willing to, he did not want to, right? He asked God to make this cup pass from me. But yet he was willing to place the needs of the body before his own. That is a very demanding call for the man, is it not? How many of us are willing to place our wife's needs above our own? Here's a, I'm going to give you a tough example. You guys ready for this? Buckle up. So, as a man, you're doing your thing. You're making your moves, right? You're trying to initiate, we'll call it certain activities. Okay? And you begin to notice kind of that pushback, that cold shoulder, or the, not tonight, I don't feel good. I got a headache. You get that pushback. You get that no, essentially. Instead of getting frustrated or bitter, or angry, be like, I can't, that, my wife doesn't love me anymore. Instead of getting angry about it, how about you ask your wife, hey, is there anything that's bothering you? Can I get you anything? Is there anything I can pray with you about? Putting your wife's needs above your own. And all the women in the house said, amen. <laughs> As you begin to place your wife's needs above your own, here's what you're liable to find. Not only are your wife's needs being met, so are yours. And I'm not just talking about sex, okay? I'm talking about this is Paul's main focus here is the spiritual condition of the home. If you're fulfilling your wife's spiritual needs, you're also fulfilling your own spiritual needs. Which brings me to my second point, the second role of the husband in the marriage relationship. And that is this, sanctification of your wife. Verse 26 and 27, to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. This goes back to what I said earlier when I was talking to the wives. 
Wives have to allow their husbands to lead spiritually. But husbands, you have to lead your wife spiritually. You have to. This is a very demanding part, again, of the husband's role within marriage that is often overlooked. We are, in part, responsible for our wives' sanctification. Did you know that? This means we're to lead our wives to the study of God's word. We're to pray with them. We're to help them grow in their spiritual gifts. That is our calling as husbands to lead our wives spiritually. Simply put, we are preparing our wives in the same way Christ is preparing the church for eternity with him. Francis Chan put it this way in his book. Um, He asked this question, are you preparing your wife to meet Jesus? That's a demanding call for a husband. Now, this isn't to say that the wife doesn't have her own responsibility and her own sanctification. We all have that call as believers. We all have a role to play. We all have to grow in our faith on our own. But the husband has a special designation here, and that it is partly his responsibility to prepare his wife and to lead her in that, to lead her spiritually, to lead her in her sanctification. We are all called as believers to disciple others. The Bible tells us that. But what I'm getting from this, what Paul is saying here is, one day us men as husbands will be judged on how well we prepared our wives to meet Jesus. Are you ready for that? Have you prepared your wife to meet Jesus? So first point was, we are to lead our wives spiritually. Second one is to, uh, we're to, um, excuse me, responsible for a wife's sanctification. Third rule is this. The role is this. This is one I think most of us get and understand, but notice it's at the end. It's kind of the last one given, and that is this, provide for your wife. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. Up to this point, we've really been looking at the spiritual role of the husband in the relationship. Now Paul addresses more the physical side of the relationship. Provision, right? To meet the needs of our spouse. To meet the needs of our wife. Now there's a cultural truth at play here. In Paul's day when he wrote this letter, women did not work. Their job was to stay home while the husband went out, worked, got the income, provided for the family, right? Now, how do we view this in the light of today's culture? Where women often have jobs, they help provide within the home. They provide, you know, some financial support within the marriage. And even in some cases, you have marriages where the wife is a sole provider in the home, where they're the main source of income. So how do we view that in light of what Paul's saying here based on what we know today? Is this to say this type of home is wrong? No. Of course not. But what Paul is saying is, in whatever way is necessary, provide for your wife. If she is the sole provider in your home, if she's the one who brings home the bacon, so to speak, your responsibility is in provision in whatever way that's necessary. It could be taking care of the home, you know, doing the laundry, doing the dishes, those types of things, right? Or supporting your wife's business. But you are to provide for your wife in whatever way is necessary. In other words, let me put it this way, and I expect every woman to say amen to this. Don't expect your wife to do everything. Again, this is a much more different. When you look at this passage, this is a lot more dedicated to the man than there is the woman, isn't there? The man has a tough role to play within the marriage. 
And then can I also point this out? This is crucial to survival within the marriage for men. You guys ready for this? This is crucial to your survival. I did some extensive, extensive research on this, spent many hours looking at the data. And can I tell you, no man has ever been murdered while doing dishes or laundry. <laughs> it's true. No man has ever been murdered doing dishes or laundry. So, again, that kind of goes back to what I said earlier, though, putting your wife's needs above your own, right? But there's some of you who may have a question in here, and you're going, what if it's complicated? Because up to this point, we've been looking at the relationship from the perspective of both the husband and the wife being a believer. For this to play out the way God has intended for it to play out, both the husband and wife have to be a believer. So what if it's complicated? What if you're in here and you're a man and you say, well, I'm a believer, but my wife isn't? Or what if you're a woman in here and you say, well, I'm a believer, but my husband isn't? What if it's complicated? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other. God has called you to live in peace. Don't you, this is the key verse right here. I want you to catch this, verse 16. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? So what is Paul saying in all this to sum it up? If you're a believer and your spouse is not, your marriage is an opportunity for you to be the one that leads them to Christ. That's it. And I know sometimes it gets complicated with the home and you're going, well, how can I allow my husband to lead me spiritually? Or how can my wife fulfill her role and submit to my leadership if one of them is not a believer? I get it. It's tough. It won't work. Plain and simple, it won't work. But you have a calling and a requirement to be the light of Christ to help lead them to Christ. So what matters most is this. It goes back to what we said at the beginning. What is the purpose of marriage? Finding a suitable helper in our service to God. And as believers, as believers, what is one of our ultimate purposes in life? be a picture of Jesus Christ to the world, right? What's the purpose of the marriage relationship? Same thing, to be a picture of Christ to the world and his relationship with the church. Look how Paul closes out the chapter. Ephesians 5, 32 through 33. Verse 32 says, this is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. In the marriage relationship, the husband is a picture of Christ. The wife is a picture of the church. That's it. And so 
one of the things I love, the, I love the way the Passion Translation puts verse 32. It says, marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery meant to be a vivid example of Christ and his church. Ultimately, our purpose in marriage is this, to be a picture of Christ, to share the light of Christ within to the world. And that includes when we go, so think about this. If you're bearing the fruit that God has called us to bear in marriage, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If you're showing all of that in your marriage and you're out walking around Walmart, the mall, wherever it is, and you're displaying those fruit, your marriage is bearing those fruit, do you think it's going to affect the people around you? Absolutely. People are going to notice that, especially the ones who are bickering and fighting <laughs> and complaining at one another. Like, I don't want to get that kind of chip. I don't want to get. They're going to get it. They're going to see the relationship that you have. And that is an opportunity for you to be a light to the world, to be a picture of Christ. So as I'm going to kind of wrap this up, and I've got four questions that I want to look at. First question is this. Are we submitting to one another? Are we submitting to one another? What was submission again? Understanding your role and fulfilling it according to Scripture. We've all been given spiritual gifts and a role to play within the body of Christ. Are you fulfilling that? Are you submitting to God's will for your life? Are you fulfilling the role God has called you to? Are you serving within the body of Christ? Are you submitting to that? And by doing that, you know who you're submitting to? One another. One another. Paul said we are to submit to one another, understand our role, and fulfill it. Second question. Wives, are you allowing your husband to lead you spiritually? Too many times in the church we see the wife is the one who brings their kids to, kids to church. They're the ones dragging their family to church. They're the ones leading the Bible study in the home. And some of it is the man hasn't accepted his role. But some of it is life just likes to take charge. They feel like they have that strong woman personality, right? And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to spiritual matters in the home, wives, your role is to allow your husband to lead you spiritually. That's your role. Husbands, question number three. Are you preparing your wife to meet Jesus? This was a tough one for me. I'll be honest. If I can be honest, this one was tough. Because my wife and I, she's sitting right down here. We have a really good marriage. We do. We have a great marriage. But if I was being honest, I fall short in this. Oftentimes. I'm not doing the things I need to be doing to lead my wife spiritually. And this question, when I read this question, when I saw this quote from Francis Chan that said, are you preparing your wife to meet Jesus? When I looked at it in that light, man, it hit me hard. How many of us men have been preparing our wives to meet Jesus? Last question, question number four. Are you bearing fruit? Or maybe the better question is, what kind of fruit are you bearing? Not just in your marriage, but in your home, in your everyday life, at work. Individual, this doesn't apply to the marriage only. This is for individuals as well. What kind of fruit are you bearing? 
Is your, the culture in your home, is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Is it those things? Or is it fits of rage, anger, hatred, jealousy, envy? What's the culture in your home look like? You know, if we're going to get to that point where our marriage is fulfilling its role and we're bearing the fruit that we are called to bear, we talked about at the beginning, we have to submit. It's not a dirty word though, right? It's understanding our role and fulfilling it within the context of our marriage. So as I get ready to close out, I have just a couple, couple things. Um, first one is this. Obviously for this to work, you have to be a believer, first and foremost. So if everyone wants to bow their heads, close their eyes. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.